Welcome back to the Shazam Sun Show podcast. I'm Matt Baker, and joining me, as always, is Aaron Thuringer. Live from Arcadia, it's Tuesday night. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hey, Arcadia, Aaron. Arizona. There's like Arcadia, California, too. You're the California one. I'm the Arizona one. Yes, I am, but uh, I have some good news for you, Aaron. Ooh, no matter me. no matter where you live, you can take advantage of Handy.com. Handy.com and the Handy app is a leading platform for connecting individuals looking for household services with top quality pre-screened independent service professionals. From home cleaning to handyman services, Handy instantly matches thousands of customers every week with trusted professionals in cities all around the world. That is Arcadia, Arizona and Arcadia, California. <laughs> with a seamless 60-second... That, what? That's, that's good to know. I'm glad, I'm glad it's in uh, both Arcadias. You, you know, Matt, I'm having a, a party in two weeks and my sink's yes. clogged up and I have no idea what to do. I might have well, to... With Try handy. With a seamless 60-second booking process, secure payment, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Handy is the easiest, most convenient way to book home services. Aaron, here's what you do, okay? Okay. Step one, select the date and time you'd like your professional to show up. Step two, they'll confirm your appointment and take care of payment electronically and securely. Step three, download the app to access booking management tools and more. And step four, an experienced, fully equipped professional will show up on time at your doorstep. So what you do is mm -hmm. you, for 50% off cleaning services, use the promo code ALMIGHTY50. That's ALMIGHTY50 for 50% off cleaning services. The Handy app at handy.com. You know, I can't, I can't throw this party with a clogged sink, so... Handy.com. I might navigate to there after uh, after our show tonight. You're gonna have to do it now, Aaron. I've, you know, I've I've spent. I hope my voice sounds okay. I've spent most of the past five days, uh, pretty sick. It. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie Train Spotting. Uh, it came I've out. Heard of it? Like 20 years ago or so. Well, there's a scene in it where Ewan McGregor, they lock him in a room to get him to kick heroin and he just ends up like sweating and yelling for like 30 minutes in the movie that that was basically me every night for the past three nights we talking uh, flu flu like symptoms yeah something like that so i i hope you know i'm i hope i sound good enough to give the people what they deserve you but know, this uh, could be your flu podcast that's true this one the one that pushes us into into greatness now we were yeah. we we had decided on this topic pretty much today because I I asked you if Eric Bledsoe is a top five point guard in Suns history. Um, so we, we instead of talk about it amongst ourselves, we figured we would talk it out on the podcast. So and, and we know who the top three are. That's pretty clear and obvious. But for a novice Suns fan, it's Kevin Johnson, Steve Nash, Jason Kidd, in no particular order. Right? Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess you would probably say Steve Nash is number one. Hmm. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess he could. I, I know I wouldn't he, say Brandon Knight is number one. Yeah. Well, Nash won two MVPs, so that there is that. But, uh, so yeah, let's talk. Let's Let's figure out. Now... I I I'm, I don't think we'll come to the conclusion that Bledsoe is a top five point guard in Suns history, but who knows? Let's let's see. Let's talk out who the other two are. I have I have some names here. Do you want to start off with the list of names, or should we go one by one? How about you offer up one, I offer up one, till we exhaust our lists. Okay. And there'll be overlap, obviously. So. Right. Um. So. Here's here's the first the first rule I say we put on it is they have to be listed as a point guard in basketballreference.com, okay? 
Okay, I'm, I have a question already though. What if they're listed as a point guard on Basketball Reference for some seasons and a shooting guard for other seasons? That's fine. Okay. They don't have. All right. Well, then, have, just as long as they're a point guard. Okay. Well. Okay. Do you mind if I start on that topic right now? Then. Go for it. Because one of the reasons I bring up the point guard shooting guard thing is because Paul Westfall has a little uh, has some point guard listings on basketball reference particularly in the sun's uh nba finals here in 1976 i never really thought of paul westfall as a point guard in fact i was watching some youtube highlight videos of the classic triple overtime game five of the 76 finals against the celtics yeah and it looked to me like dick van arsdale was that point guard and paul westfall was the shooting guard Okay. So let me side note you for a second. Paul Westfall made some insane shots in that game. And as an added bonus that has nothing to do with this conversation, when the fans thought the game was over after the second overtime, one of the fans got into a fight with the referee on the court. <laughs> you don't really? see that too often. Oh, man. But uh, do we... I... Westfall, point guard... Yay or nay? Just let's first right now consider him a point guard, a potential point guard for this debate. I'm fine with saying nay on it. I, I think I think he should be in there. I think he basketball reference has him listed in, as two seasons as point guard for the Suns. So I I'm I'm fine with it. He was traded for think, a point guard. He they traded him for Dennis Dennis Johnson, I believe. Yeah, I think uh I think Paul Westfall People probably don't think of him as being as good as he was. Now he didn't. He he had he played what is that twelve seasons, and the like everyone the prime of his career he w- was his best. But he he did average twenty five points in a season, and each year he was with Phoenix he averaged over twenty points. In Which is pretty. His era before the three-point line, right? And really acrobatic, really made some good shots, some tough shots. And I'm not going entirely off this highlight package I watched on Game Five, but I would like to point out a, a few things in it because he was insane in this highlight package, and he was making ridiculous fall away, fall fade away, falling down bank shots. But in addition. He had some monster steals in this game. He was a, I mean, he was an all-around player. I know that the the level of defense we associate with NBA players today didn't exist in the mid '70s, nor did the level of athleticism. But for his time and in, in his era, he was probably the most iconic son on the on the most iconic Suns team until the '90s. Yeah. It. It uh, just a little, little comparison for you about how he played in the pre three point era. He one of his seasons in Phoenix, he averaged ten field goals made per game. Right yeah. now, I'm not comparing him. I'm I'm trying to just compare numbers. Steph Curry two seasons ago, when he averaged thirty points, he also averaged ten field goals made per game. So, Westfall was, I'm not saying he was Curry-like. I'm just saying that... Um, he could have gotten to 30, perhaps, in a three-point era. Right. He, he, was, he made enough shots that it, it, he, to only, in theory, score 25, it could have been much more. It, uh, that's, that's a good point. So... Um, well, so yeah, well, Westfall, let me ask you this he, question about Westfall. Would because I think t- if you went by today, like Bledsoe today is better than 1976 Paul Westfall, probably right, just because of how the NBA has evolved. So, but how much weight do we put into importance for their eras? Because Bledsoe is a, a small fraction of importance to the Suns, this current Suns team in Phoenix, as Paul Westfall was in the 70s. 
Well, I think I think uh, I think when it comes to the top players, I think I think it. Uh, well, I mean, it, yeah, it, it doesn't matter. If it, it's basically I, I think impact to the team matters a lot. Yeah, I agree right? with you. In fact, I think that if if we are going to consider West, if we're going to include him as a point guard, then I think it's a no brainer. Westfall's probably number four on the list. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. That's a that's 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 quick out out of the gate here. Quick out of the gate. Let's uh. Okay. Let's just end the podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just make Westfall number four and number five. Let's do it. Okay. Or well, number four, or number four. That was his number. Oh, good point. All right. So then, well, let's move on to Dennis Johnson then, who Westfall was traded for. Um, DJ came in and. He was pretty pretty beloved. I feel like Dennis Johnson was pretty beloved wherever he went. Didn't didn't Larry Bird say he was the best teammate he ever had? That sounds familiar. I can't confirm or deny. Wouldn't surprise me. Maybe he said that, but also that maybe maybe Larry Bird just liked saying it because he thought it, it would make Dennis Johnson feel good, and <laughs> then secretly he would like. Well, cuss I imagine an unselfish out. an unselfish point guard that tried really hard and played really good defense in the eighties was more of a novelty than it is today. Yeah. I could see why people love Dennis Johnson because of that. Yeah. So DJ played three seasons, three seasons in Phoenix. He made the all-star game twice. Uh, his stats weren't, they weren't overwhelming. He didn't average 20 points. Um, any of the games, but he did he meet my parents scorer. in. He did meet my parents in a pharmacy once, so that oh. that, that probably gives him extra bonus points. Was uh, Mike Deminsky in that pharmacy too? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you're it a new listener, that's a callback joke to two podcasts ago. So go back and listen. Yeah. Um. Now this is early early eighties Phoenix was was kind of the forgotten years of Phoenix Suns basketball, right? Because that's when they were it was pre Hornacek, Chambers, and KJ, and it was kind of kind of during the time when they were kind of riddled with drug use, right? Yeah, they were like South Beach South Beach levels of cocaine floating around the franchise that time. <laughs> I mean, they had. They had some loaded teams. They had Dennis Johnson, Walter Davis, Alvin Adams, mm. who and uh, Larry Nance. Alvin Adams, by the way, watching this highlight reel, that guy was good. He was getting rebounds and leading fast breaks, just like handling like a guard. Like what six not what six nine six ten player was doing that in the seventies? Right. But those yeah, teams they, were uh, good. They actually sure. one of the one of the years they finished first in the. Pacific Division with 57 wins. Um, so yeah, it they. It's interesting. I, I don't want to bring the, you know, bring the tone down, but it it's it's interesting to remember that the Suns have all up until recently they were always good. They were. They you're were right. They, I mean, they, they it'd be bad for two or three years, and they would have rebuilt their team. Yeah, so this this whole thing about not making the playoffs for seven years is really new to the, like it's a territory the franchise has never been in. Um, well, and, and but, after the 2010 season, they were the fourth winningest NBA franchise of all time. I I believe I'm remembering that correctly. Right. So yeah, you know, I would say Dennis Johnson. I mean, he's in the Hall of Fame. And I don't think Kevin Johnson is. So by the back criteria, he's better than Kevin Johnson, but not for this criteria, obviously. I, I, I wouldn't... So you can make a case for him to go above Paul Westfall, but I wouldn't place him above Paul Westfall. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it... Uh, I think... I think, uh, I think DJ playing on Boston helped him in the hall of fame talk a lot. I think if he, if he stayed on Phoenix, he might not have been in the hall of fame. 
I mean, there's no way that's incorrect. That, but that is also that's pure speculation too. But I, uh, I think you're totally right on that, though. Yeah, it. it so, so I, I think, I think it's fair that KJ. I think KJ is meant has meant more to the Suns. Obviously, he was on the Suns longer. He was there in their their NBA Finals run. Um. So yeah, I think it's perfectly valid to put a non-Hall of Famer above a Hall of Famer in this in this talk. So yeah. can I offer up a sentimental favorite of my own to be in this top five list? Please tell me it's Kyle Macy. <laughs> it is not Kyle Macy. It is my randomly favorite Suns player of all time, Stephon Marbury. Okay, this and see and, and this is this is kind of the guy we were talking about that got this conversation going i think basically yes so um not a lot of longevity two years three years three years yeah two and a half two and a half you're right yeah he was one of in the mold of those late 90s early 2000s iso heavy wannabe jordan point guards in, in kind of a down era in NBA history. I actually don't think he is a top five Suns point guard. I just, I happened to really enjoy him when I was 16 years old watching Suns games. I will say that he, well, maybe not true with Bledsoe, the strongest Suns point guard ever. I, hey, he, I love Stefan Marbury, so you're going to, you're going to get no quarrel <laughs> from me. Yeah. Let's just put a number one. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> Let's I mean, just he did hit it. an epic shot to beat the Spurs in a playoff game. I, oh, yeah. I, I remember watching that game. What, what if we just changed the podcast name from Shazam to Starbury? What do you Ooh, think about maybe that? Maybe like a season two move right there? Yeah. It, uh, you know, for, it, for all those years that Tony Parker abused Suns teams, Marbury abused him in that playoff series. Now, Parker was like 18 at the time, but mm-hmm. I remember Tony Parker was just helpless guarding him. And in fact, that was one of the reasons the Suns took them to six games, even though they were the one seed, because no one on that team could guard Marbury. Yeah, he, 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 like, he was the, he was good, he was perfect because. I don't think I don't know if the league had quite figured out street ball yet. Yeah. Um so he was he was able to use that he was able to use those physical tools just to kind of impose his will on people. Um he also had that classic kind of crying face when Amari had that dunk. Oh, you yeah. know, that that like <laughs> faux crying like I can't believe I just saw that face. So now, Marbury now was Mar- great. You know, the the Suns have been dying for someone with his level of, like, just charisma and on-court personality. Not necessarily his talent level, but that guy was an attraction for sure. Oh, yeah, it helped. Uh, it kind of helped having him there, too, because that was, that was uh, threatening to be a dead period in Phoenix because they just got rid of Kid, obviously, because they got rid of Kid for Marbury. But... Marion wasn't quite Sean Marion yet, and no one knew what to expect from Amari, so he kept the franchise afloat from a personality standpoint. And maybe you can give him a few extra points because if it wasn't for trading him to New York, they wouldn't have gotten Nash. So, you know. Definitely. So, yeah, I don't I know. I don't to... know. Sorry to interrupt you. I went to a Suns playoff game that year in, in 2002, and they were giving out these shirts that had Nash, Amari, and Marion on them, and it just said, the future. And I thought it was the coolest shirt. And, of course, the shirt was irrelevant like six months later. But um, Wait, and there was Mar- a time when people thought that the Suns were just going to run with Marbury, um, Amari, and Marion, and that was going to be the squad. Right. They also had uh, Anthony Hardaway, though, at that point, too. So, mm-hmm. And Casey Jacobson, right? Oh, man. <laughs> it's making me, making me remember the good times. 
So would you, do you think that's enough to put him, like, do you think his, his impact to Phoenix was bigger than Dennis Johnson's impact, basically? I'd have to say no, because Dennis Johnson was on some really good teams that just couldn't get past the Showtime Lakers. Right. Marbury had two losing seasons and one eight seed. Okay. And I, don't get me wrong, I got incredibly nostalgic talking about Marbury just now, and I'm going to definitely binge watch Marbury highlights on YouTube after this podcast, but I can't put them over Dennis Johnson. Okay. Um, Aaron, I got, I got one for you. That it, he's listed as a shooting guard every other season except for the two he played in Phoenix where he's listed as a point guard. Gail Goodrich. Oh, wow. I bet, I bet you didn't see that coming. I did not see this coming. I am not even prepared to have a Gil Goodrich conversation, to be honest. I know. I thought I, I, thought I would hit you with that. It, uh, um, they played... got him from the Lakers, right? Or did they trade him to the Lakers after? Both. So he started... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that's so funny to me. He started he started in the late with the Lakers and then the Suns took him in the expansion draft and then they traded him back to the Lakers two years later for something called Mel Counts. Um, he was a big man. Okay, I'll take your word on that. Um You know, I, I can't put Gale on there because Van Arsdale was the point guard of those teams. Okay. He he took a he did go to one All Star game, and as a son, he, yeah, and so I'm he averaged. Just not prepared. I apologize to talk about Gail Goodrich right now. It's all right. Maybe I should have. Maybe I should have told you I was going to hit you with the Gail Goodrich. But no, he, uh, I, I he, think this is organic. He he averaged twenty three points per game and then twenty points per game. Uh, in the pre three point era, he actually didn't play at all when there was a three point line, which is interesting. Um, I will say he's it, one of the few people on the classic seventy two Lakers team in two K that can shoot threes. It's him and Jerry West, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he uh, actually that year that year was statistically his best year in the NBA. Uh, again. These it's it's early Phoenix Suns, so he wasn't around when they went to the finals. Um, and Gail Goodrich, uh, he's another one of the he's another one of these Hall of Famers, but his impact on the Suns, um, it might it just might not be there compared to Westfall or even Dennis Johnson. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put him over uh like even Marbury. Wow. I, oh man, I got some I did some Dick Van Arsdale research real quickly. And he is only mm-hmm. listed as a shooting garden basketball reference. So every Dick Van Arsdale thing I said has to has to be removed from the podcast, I think. <laughs> that <laughs> so that uh... I guess I always thought he was a point guard on those old Suns teams, but it didn't look like he was. I mean, he never Maybe. averaged more than four assists per game. Yeah, he. Uh... Hey, you know what? I guess maybe maybe they played a maybe they played a multiple point guard system, and he was just shooting guard by default. But uh... well, the the next guy I was going to nominate was Van Arsdale, but due to the shocking revelation, I think I'm going to have to go. We already mentioned him, Kyle Macy on you. Okay. Macy, who is the guy that the Suns thought they could trade Dennis Johnson because they wanted to let Macy run the point. Okay. And I think he's the Suns' all-time leader in free throw shooting percentage. Okay. And that's the end of his list. He's not a top five point guard on the Suns. (laughs) (laughs) You just just wanted to put him out there just because you wanted to reference Kyle Macy? I did, yes. And um it was either that or, or try to push Elliot Perry on you. Oh, I would I'd listen to that for sure. If you want to talk about okay. fun 
point guards of all time or most beloved, you could put Perry on that list most likely. Absolutely. What about um, what about Goran Dragic, Aaron? That is I think, a good one. I think I think we I think he he ha- has a legitimate he he has a legitimate in into this conversation just purely based on what he did to San Antonio in that one playoff game. Yep. In, I I agree. In 2010, right? 2010, the I forget how many points it was in the fourth quarter, but that was one of the more amazing things I've ever seen in my sports watching life. Yeah, it was you watch this kid his second year in the league single-handedly expel all the demons from the San Antonio rivalry in one quarter. Now granted it didn't it didn't bring back any of those potential lost championships, but it for one for one night you got to see a young kid give it to San Antonio like no one had in the and past decade. You're right about that and he was really good when he came back after they inexplicably inexplicably traded him to Houston for Aaron Brooks, which is one of the that's one of the worst trades in Suns history if they don't re-sign Goran Dragic a year later. Yeah. They uh not not only was he trade he was traded with a first round draft pick to the Rockets for Aaron Brooks. Oh my goodness. I know. That was a it's Lance Blanks era. Yeah, that's true. So yeah, he 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 he's another one of those these guys that the numbers aren't staggering, but he did until he fell out of favor. He did re-energize the fan base. That was kind of like he, the Marbury he, thing, right? He was a personality. I mean, his, his teams were better, but he was a personality. He was something that he had an attraction to him that the fans crave. That you know, Devin Booker is kind of getting, but. Yeah, you know, Bledsoe doesn't have does not have that at all. No one buys tickets to watch Eric Bledsoe play. They would buy tickets to watch Goran Dragic play. Well, I think, and the thing that Goran had working for him is everyone knew that it was kind of garbage the way that they traded him. So the fact that he re-signed, they re-signed him. It was kind of uh, like a a homecoming everyone could get behind. Not necessarily. A, not necessarily a prodigal son situation because Goron didn't leave of his own doing, but he just, it was, it was kind of like a temporary righting of a wrong. So I think people really enjoyed seeing that. At least I know I did. Mm-hmm. I did too. I was happy he came back. I remember a story from my time as Lance Flanks wanted Raymond Felton. Oh yeah. <laughs> Cause he was a terrible GM and Sarver basically put his foot down and said we're signing Goran Dragic and kind of did the deal himself which give credit to Sarver one of the few good things he's done I honestly I would put Goran above Bledsoe on this okay. list as well just and I sound like a Bledsoe what? hater I, I but I'm also weighing personality and connection with fan base into this list and Bledsoe doesn't have that at all and no fault yeah. of his own he's not that type of player that's fine but that's how I'm kind of formulating my list. It uh, th- that's that's totally fair. Bledsoe has been, Bledsoe has been in Phoenix. This is his fourth season, and he, I don't know. I I do you do you think there wouldn't be like a mass panic if he got traded tomorrow? I, he just doesn't have he just doesn't have that yeah. connection. No, now, I, I agree. I mean, he's been fantastic. I don't want to take anything away from him, but there's just no connection. I don't. I, I would riot in the streets if Booker got traded, but there's no there's no real connection with Bledsoe. Now, with that being said, he is a season away from the Suns being good and him and Booker being a great duo from having that connection, but it's just not there right now. Yeah, it's just uh, not there right now. So maybe if we re- revisit this in two years, 
that's changed if he's had if if he enters his prime and he has a, a year like this next year and the Suns are better and a year like this in two years and the Suns are a playoff contender, then yeah, we can reevaluate the list. But my five is pretty firmly set right now. I, I don't know about yours, Baker. It uh so you're you're saying it's Nash, KJ, Jason Kidd, Paul Westfall, and Goron. I I think I would have to put Dennis Johnson um, as the fifth. Um, oh, okay. Just based on his career, I guess that's outside of the Suns, but he was a Hall of Famer and he was on some really good Suns teams. I'm not particularly ranking Nash. Johnson or Kidd in any particular order right now. I feel like that's a whole different podcast. So, so you're saying Westfall and DJ are the last two? Those who, that's who I would say are four and five on my list. How about you? Yeah, no, I think that's totally fair. It, uh, do, do you want to, do you want to just throw in, uh, Leandro Barbosa just because he's super fun? I most love it. I, I put him in the Elliot Perry Elliot Perry category of of uh, most beloved. I, you know, when he comes into games for the Suns right now, I don't even like. I I get upset. Ulyss doesn't play that much, or I get upset when they don't play the young guys and they play the veterans and still lose these games. But I never get upset seeing Blur in the game doing Blur things because he's just the best. He's the best. Yeah. Yeah. It uh, and and he was so great, so great off the bench in those on those Nash teams because he he could step right in and where he he wasn't he wasn't Nash but he was fast so he was kind of he didn't he allowed them not to let up. True, also but uh, also not a really a point guard. Yeah, that's fair. Where I that's true. I set the rules. I have to be beholden to them. Beholden to uh, the rules. Check basketball reference. Yeah, I I you know Westfall. Uh, by the way, Westfall stopped playing in the NBA before either of us were born, which is super weird. But uh, well. I I would like to ask someone who watched the Suns. A lot then if if Westfall had like a, a following because I think he I mean I think he was pretty loved but I wonder he's in the Ring of Honor like. yeah. I, I think they put people in the Ring of Honor because of their civic value as much as their you know how good they were mm-hmm. so I, I think he would have to be in it he'd, he I mean I he'd have to have been loved to make the Ring of Honor. Yeah, that's fair. Maybe maybe he was just loved as a coach. That's a good point. Cuz he said Cuz uh, he said that when they were down 2-0 to the Lakers that we're going to win tomorrow night and then we're going to go to LA and win and then we're going to come back here and win or whatever he said. The guarantee. Do, do you yeah. think he was in the Ring of Honor before he was a coach or was that after? Um I could look it up, but I I don't even know when the Ring of Honor started. I would imagine <laughs> that the Ring of Honor uh, started once they got to America West, right? No, actually. Alvin Adams had his jersey retired in 88. And Westfall, oh, Westfall had his jersey retired in 1989. There you go. So it was so, retired before the guarantee. Yeah. But maybe maybe they just gave it a more prominent position after the guarantee. <laughs> like, they're, we're going to put this at center court now? Yeah, exactly. Like, when, when you get uh, in the ring of honor, you go in, like, one of the corners, and then you slowly make your way to the center of the court? Yeah. I like that. Yeah. yeah it, uh, that's, how they, that's how they threatened Barkley to start playing nice with the Suns, is they told him <laughs> that they were going to put it, like, in the basement. <laughs> and then slowly just work its way up. But uh yeah, I'm 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 okay with Westfall and DJ as as the next two. Uh DJ didn't have his jersey retired, but it uh 
I don't think that matters. That's because that's true. I don't think there's another there's not a fifth point guard that has had his jersey retired on the Suns though. Correct. Right. It's Westfall, yeah. Nash, and KJ. So Yeah, oh yeah, that's right. Kid doesn't have his retired. He he never will, even though he was I mean, elite when he was here for obviously obvious other reasons. Hey, Matt. Yes? You want to play a game? Oh, man, that's the way it always starts in Saw before people start getting limbs cut off and stuff. Really, I was thinking more of a war games type. Do you want to play a game? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that one. That's how that goes, right? I'll be your Matthew Broderick. Perfect. Okay. Um, so this is called hypothetical hypothetical game, if I can pronounce it correctly. Okay. Um, it is a, a game where I give you hypotheticals that range from ridiculous to really hard to answer, where the end goal is to get you to just go, gosh, I don't know. And the subject of this week's first ever this week's, this podcast's first ever hypothetical game is Devin Booker trades. I'm going to attempt to see which of these possible trade scenarios would get you to part with the golden boy Devin Booker. You ready? Okay. So I'm going to give you a warm-up. This is just a warm-up to get your juices flowing. So three-way deal. Devin Booker goes to Detroit. Washington gets Tobias Harris, and the Suns get Marcus and Markeith Morris. Uh, no. What? Yes, that, that was a warm up. Okay, now we're, I was getting your blood that, flowing. That's how the game works. Yeah, gonna, we're gonna, is, we're gonna get it. That was a great. I love that response from you. All right. Is that you, is that real. your way of just testing my sanity? Testing your sanity. I was kind of just like, a, you know, do, doing a light jog before you're getting ready to sprint or something or, or doing some stretching before you're starting your calisthenics. So now you're okay. going. Your, your heart's racing. Yeah, it right. is. Pat Riley's on the phone. He would oh, like wow. to make Devin Booker the next star of South Beach. And to do this, he is going to offer you this package. He will give you, for Devin Booker, he will give you Justice Winslow and a pick swap of their 2017 unprotected first this year for the top eight 2018 protected heat pick the Suns currently have. So you're getting a better draft pick in Justice Winslow for Devin Booker. And I still get to keep my draft pick of this year? You, you keep your draft pick this year, you get the Heat's draft pick this year, and you get Justice Winslow. But you lose the Heat's draft pick next year. Uh, that right there, that's know. the whole goal of the hypothetical game, to get you to go, uh, because you can't make a decision. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't think I would do it, even though it sounds pretty enticing. Well, Riley... But, uh, counters with the waiters. No, I, that's not that's a nothing in my book. Uh, Riles has already hung up. He's, he's somewhere else in South Beach now. But okay. Brian Clangelo is on the phone. Okay. And they'd like to reverse the process. And oh, wow. So what they're proposing is they will give you their unprotected first-round pick this year and Nerland's Noel for Devin Booker but they will also eat Brandon Knight's contract. Oh, wow. I, I see what you're doing here. Mm-hmm. It, uh, so, basically, Devin Booker, for the possibility to maybe have the first two picks in the draft in Nerland's Noel, who I believe is a restricted free agent after the year. But yes, the possibility of two high picks on loaded draft and getting rid of Brandon Knight's contract. I mean, that's, that's another, that's another good one. It, what if, what if you get the first two picks and you're not going to take two point guards, right? 
You take Josh Jackson in the point guard of your choice. Man. I I don't know. It's it's tough because having Booker become this knock like this dead eye knockdown shooter is just so huge. Like you I don't know if it's I don't know. You're you're basically hoping that those picks become as good as Devin Booker. Right. So yeah, I don't know if I, I think, do that one, but this is your hypothetical game, not mine. I yeah, I don't think I would do it either. Alright, that's fine because that that line is that the light's blinking on your phone. There's another person on the line. Okay. And this is Utah. And oh wow. Utah is getting really concerned about their ability to re-sign Gordon Hayward. Okay. And they'd like to know if you'd like Gordon Hayward and Dante Exum straight up for Devin Booker. Huh. See, I, I don't think I don't think McDonough would do that. But what would you do? Me, I see. I I don't think I would because you. It's very possible that whatever Gordon Hayward signs for, Booker will sign for, if not more, in a few years. But you still have Booker at a pretty incredible salary for two years after this so correct you'd have to be well correct because i agree with you you'd have to assume that booker is going you'd have to make this trade you'd have to assume that hayward is going to be better than booker will ever be and i i don't believe that i mean you you have booker next year for 2.3 million and the year after that for 3.3 million so that's yeah it's Whatever he signs for after, he can't worry about it. It's just too good right now. Dante Exum Sweetener doing nothing for you? Yeah, that poor guy. It's not doing anything for me. Well, hang up the phone because the Clippers are online too now. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, it was my and lucky day. They're blowing up the team. They, they can never be Golden State. They've already traded Chris Paul. They've already traded DeAndre Jordan. And they want to know if you would take... Blake Griffin for Devin Booker. Huh. <laughs> it's... I think Blake's Blake like Gr- 27 now? 28? In this, in this world, would I, I would have to... I would have to rearrange some pieces, because... Don't get me wrong, I like Blake, but... then. I don't. It. I feel. I feel like I'm gonna say no to all of these just because I love Booker and I love the idea of having this killer shooter on a team. Oh, trust me. I'll get you to. I'll get you to say yes to one of these. These are tiered okay. to get harder and harder to deal with. Okay, go. Lay it's it like on boss me. battles. All right, so. Let's move on. You've said no to the Clippers. I don't blame okay. you for that, even though Blake would give, would bring a superstar to Phoenix and energize the fan base. I would rather let Booker get there myself. So I'm with you. But guess what? John Paxton and Gar Foreman are conference calling you in because they want to offer you Jimmy Butler for Devin Booker. Oh. But they're not comfortable making that trade straight up because they don't really know what they're doing. So they have demanded that you include <laughs> Miami's 2008 first-round pick, top eight protected next year. So that pick from Miami, you have to include in this to get Jimmy Butler. No, I'm not doing. I'm not. No, I. I you think, know that I think, faster than some of the other ones that I thought were uh, less difficult to decide. Yeah. All right. Well, don't worry because. Danny Ainge is Skyping you right now. Oh, wow. And Danny Ainge is deciding, you know what? I will give up the the mythical Brooklyn pick, 2017 unprotected, and I'll give you Jalen Brown for Devin Booker and P.J. Tucker. See, 
the more I think about this year's draft, the like, and it, it's a bummer because the Suns are bad. Like, the less I actually care about them getting number one because of all the point guards at the top. So I'm not, I'm not as concerned about having the the number one pick. Does that make so sense? So you're going to deny the mythical Brooklyn pick, which is fine. I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm just there you go. You're going to deny that pick and the outside of Jalen Brown. Oh man, these are these are getting tougher. You're right. I'll I'll just say I'll just say no because I I'm interested to see if anyone is calling next. All right, you have a you have one final call before things get a little interesting here. Okay. Um, this is from Portland and they want to get bigger in the backcourt. So they're going to offer you CJ McCollum straight up for Devin Booker. Okay. Uh, I I actually think that Booker's upside is higher than McCollum's upside. I would agree with you. So, and I I I I think paying Devin Booker three million over the each of the next two years is uh, way more attractive than paying McCollum 23.9 and 25.7 million the next two years. The, so, the money angle is a really good point. Yeah. So I, and I just don't, I just don't think, honestly, I don't, I don't think McCollum, I think, yeah, I think Booker can be better than McCollum. So I, I would say no to that. Well, the, the phone has stopped ringing. It, it sounds like you had had a very uh, productive day of declining trades for Devin Booker, but <laughs> suddenly all the lights go out in your office and an oh, no. apparition appears. Oh, and it is the ghost of David Stern. Oh, he, man. he is stuck in purgatory. He's unable to ascend to heaven. He wishes penance. He, want, and he, he cannot move on in the afterlife until he undoes the wrong he did to the Suns fan base and Amari and Boris and the suspensions in Game 5 of the 2007 Western Conference Semifinals. Okay. So he can offer you some fantastical trades, but only if you offer up Devin Booker as a sacrifice. So you ready for these? Yeah. This is a whole nother level, obviously. So the first one is, and <laughs> David Stern can uh, travel through time to make these trade offers. So <laughs> uh, don't ask why and don't question it. He is going. He is going back to 2001. It is the days after the Jason Kidd domestic violence news breaks, and right. the Suns are already pursuing trade options. So the trade offer here is 2001 Jason Kidd for Devin Booker and this Brandon Knight's contract gets swallowed up into the timeline. I don't know where it goes, but it's off your books. To put him on this shoot, I would I would take Jason Kidd. That that See? Jason like that that yeah, if you if if David Stern wants to go back in time and resurrect the 2001 Jason Kidd and move him to today's NBA. I would. Let me caveat. Also, you're dealing with today's domestic abuse climate, and this is days after he got that domestic disturbance charge. Oh, I see what you did. So, do you want to deal with that? Uh, Actually, probably not. No, that's a good point. A lot, back right. then, well, back then it was bad, but that was a lot more boys will be boys. True, it's of. it's a whole other ball game today. So right. we're not I, even I, trading Devin Booker for prime Jason Kidd. That's a great hypothetical game right there. Then but you did it, Aaron. Stern has two more offers for you. So let's go over these real quickly. Um, we all know that. In 1969, the Suns lost out to 
Kareem Abdul-Jabbar on a coin flip with the Milwaukee Bucks, right? Okay, yeah. David Stern will offer you a do-over if you sacrifice Devin Booker to the timeline. There's no guarantee, but you get a 50-50 shot at Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Oh, wow. You know, do I do I go back get to go back and live through that too? You because can bring I'm, Kareem I'm to the current to... Suns. You can make Kareem go to the '69 Suns. Whatever you'd like, but you have to no, sacrifice you... Devin Booker for a fifty-fifty shot at him. You know what, Aaron? I'm sticking with Booker because I'm living now and I'm I'm in the present with Devin Booker. What happened? Wow. What happened? Happened. So we have not, we have not got you to agree to one Devin Booker trade. I have one final offer for you, and I think I know where you're going to go with this. Okay. If you sacrifice Devin Booker to the timeline, David Stern will travel back in time and unsuspend Amari and Boris Diaw for Game Six of the two South. 2007 Western Conference semifinals. Well, you sold me there because I lived. That was something I lived through, and I, and I will, I will, go back, and I will, I will sacrifice Devin Booker <laughs> for that shot. There it is. The one trade <laughs> we agreed to is one shot at the title in 2007. That's the only thing we'll trade Devin Booker for. Yeah, that sounds about right. That was so brutal. It. Uh, hey, if you. Want to email us at shazamsunshow at gmail.com and let us know what you would sacrifice Devin Booker for. Or you can tweet us at shazamsuns. Uh, I'm at hey, it's Matt Baker. Aaron's at a underscore zone. That's um, where I tweet work. Um, David Stern fan fiction time travel stories. <laughs> That's right. Hey, good work on uh, figuring out this locked-in, set-in-stone top five point guards of all time. Good job, man. We did it. Yeah. All right. Hey, gang, thanks for listening, and we'll uh, talk with you all next week.